Hello and welcome to the Calvary Tabernacle Young Adults Podcast. We're so glad you're listening. We hope you continue to do so. The Young Adults class is always happy to have returned guests, especially ones as uh, tenured and as distinguished as today's guest, Brother Juan Lopez. We were, of course, glad to have him back, and we hope you enjoy his message. Thank you very much. threaten me. He did say that, he's like, you can say what you want, but I'm the one that does the editing. What? He said a lot of other things I won't share from this mic. But it's eight or nine, eight and nine-year-old camp, and my kids uh, were looking forward to going there, and all of their friends are out at camp right now, and they're calling, their moms are calling my wife, and is Aiden going to be there? Is Hannah going to be there? And uh, the kids found out that I was preaching in young adults. And I'd like to think that it had something to do with dad preaching, but it had nothing to do with me preaching and everything to do with them wanting to stick around and see you guys. They miss the group, and they miss being a part of it. And let me just tell you what that means to a father is that you have left an imprint on their life. And there's not enough I can say to thank you for being a great example, wonderful people for my kids to follow. So thank you for that. For the Brzezinski, uh, I really love the Brzezinski's. I have, I have been fond of Brother Brzezinski since I first met him. I, well, I was going to say that our love languages are different. Bro, you're married now. You know how tough that love language thing is. And so it's it works amongst friends and brothers as well. And I care about him, and I think I think I am growing on him. And so it's uh, it's taken nine years, and he's had the Holy Ghost for pretty much all that, and still <laughs> it's just taking time. So we're driving into church, and kids were being loud and bickering and so I'm like oh, I can't hear you the music is on and turning it up from the steering wheel and it's getting louder and louder and then I can't hear them that was the goal and, and then the song goes off and a new song is coming on and it's uh Danny Goki Goki did you say that oh I, I would have been surprised had you known it. good job bro okay so Danny Goki comes on and my wife is like oh on it's your song and so it's like turned up, and, and it's going through this song. I can't remember the name of the song, but all of a sudden, like my wife has been singing a little bit. My daughter's probably been singing a little bit, but all of a sudden she's like, oh, this is my part. And then she's like bouncing in the seat, and she's like, uh, well, how does it go? He's, all right, he's coming with the love. And she's like, and and. What is it? We could have a special. Let me just tell you, I love this lady, and I could tell you about her prayer life and how she's in the in the room praying every time I'm getting out and getting ready for work, and I love that about her, but I'm telling you now, 
you've got to marry somebody that you can have a good time with. You've got to be able to have fun and appreciate their quirkiness and hope that they appreciate your quirkiness and just have a good time, guys. So listen, take it from me. I'm telling you, life will be miserable. Go ahead and be that couple if you want. The ones that can't laugh together, the ones that can't play jokes, the ones that, I mean, good night. That's like a life sentence. So avoid that one, please. Ministry opportunity. I'm very thankful for the crowd so that I can announce this, that the Thomases, Brother Thomas and uh, Sister Thomas, Ryan and Summer, you guys might remember them. They were from Calvary Tabernacle. IBC alumni, I say that to try to get the hearts of all these IBC guys in here. And they have taken on a church, West Terre Haute, a year and a half ago probably? No. Gosh, it's probably been almost two years. Almost two years. Had like eight people. They've been running around 95 for the last eight months. And it's all new converts. Like There ain't nobody transferred to their church. They live, the church is in West Terre Haute, which is literally on the other side of the tracks. So if you're in Terre Haute, has anybody ever, did anybody know about, you don't claim West Terre Haute. But they're doing a work there, and God is blessing it, and new people are coming. And Ryan Thomas is an incredible leader and fundraiser. And so they have built now an 8,400 two-story pole barn, 8,400 square foot two-story pole barn, and they've got it all the way finished up to the place where we just need to install some drywall. And so we are looking for volunteers, and I'm announcing this before the message so that you can check your calendar. I won't get upset if you're looking at your phone and see if Saturday the 20th, if you're a guy, girls, I mean, I would love to have your help, but carrying drywall is brutal. You don't want to do it. Take the out and run with it. But guys, I need your help. We're hoping to get like 20 guys. We're going to carpool from CCS. We're going to leave around 7 a.m. that Saturday, get there around 8, 8.30, and then we're ending at 5 p.m. Brother Thomas has a, a history of just working till 5 in the morning the next day and just not quitting. We're not doing it. I stood up for you guys. I want you to know because he expected that. And I'm like, no, I'm not going to have anybody help. No one's going to help if we have to stay till 5 a.m. So now that we changed it, Brother Brzezinski signed up, and we have, uh, we have uh, I told you we had different love languages. That was like a hug. Saturday the 20th, if you're a guy and you show up and you've got a car, we also need a group of guys that are willing to go and leave at 2 p.m. because Brother Norman has to get back a little earlier. So he has to leave by 2. And so a group of guys that can ride with him could come back or drive because he doesn't have a car or ride either. He's actually very needy when it comes to this whole thing. <laughs> so if we, could, uh, if we could get a volunteer, I will pay for your gas. So you won't even have to spend your gas money. I'll take care of it. And now all of a sudden, Brother Norman's like, well, I can take my car. <laughs> so I'll pay for your gas. Um, we just need to get as many guys as we can get out there. Even if four or five of you say we can only go until like one, that's fine. Uh, I think it would be a huge blessing to them. He's going to try to have 20 himself, and it will be groups of five to six on a team. So hanging drywall on a wall with a team of five or six is so much easier than like trying to do with two people. So it won't be very backbreaking. He'll provide lunch. He'll provide some food. There's the plug. After the service, 
I'll remind you, come see me if you're interested. We'll give you the details, time. We'll meet and go do your work together. Amen. Amen. The uh, praise team, incredible job. Incredible job. I love the worship services in Young Adults. It's uh, good to be in the room and be a part of that again with you guys and worship with you. So I want to take your attention to Exodus chapter 19, beginning in verse 16. Brother Vince, I am fighting my temptation to share with what you said to me. Because I think it was awesome and let me know he loved me, but some of you might not like it. We won't go there for the sake of the unity of the group. Exodus chapter 19, verse 16. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount, and the voice of the trumpet exceeding loud, so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the nether part of the mount, and Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke, because the Lord descended upon it. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him by a voice. I recently finished a book. The author's name is Gary Keller not the UPC preacher, but Mr. Keller wrote this book, and I don't know about you and what gets your attention and draws your focus to pick up a book and to invest your time to go through the pages and to read it, but for me, it's very simple. I want to believe that what I am about to read is going to reveal to me some very actionable information. I'm a practical guy. I listen to Dave Ramsey. Nothing he teaches is brilliant. It's incredibly simple. Congress can't get it. But, hey, real practical, simple advice. Don't spend more than you make. And we're all in America. We're like, dang, that's a real thing? Yeah. <laughs> don't, spend more than, don't spend more than we make. Practical information. And so I've read his books, and they've, they've been very helpful to me. I like to be able to finish the book and to apply what I've read and learned to my life to bring about a very quick reward. I like instant gratification. I want it to be good for me. Second, very simple. I want it to be simple. Don't give me complicated information. Don't give me this huge diagram. You know what I do nowadays when it comes to instructions? I watch a YouTube video. I can, I can just like pick up on it so much faster with a quick video than I can like getting this list of instructions. So I want it to be detailed and full of actionable information, and I want it to be simple details. And so when I caught the title of this book, The One Thing, I thought, this is for me, The One Thing. And then I read the 
Subtitle, Surprisingly Simple Truth Behind Extraordinary Results. Now, does that not fit exactly what I said I look for if I'm going to read a book? And so I was hooked. I bought the book. I've been getting reading it. I finished it. It was really enjoyable. Um, I'll spare you all the details. The basic fundamental of the book is he tries to get you to realize that you can take a look at any area of your life. I'll use parenting because I have kids. And parenting, you want to be a good parent. Well, that's a very broad goal, good parent. There's a whole lot that can come in that. And so he says what you need to do is find the one thing in that area that if you do it, it will make everything else in that area easier or unnecessary. Now, I'm telling you, the more I read it, the more I was like, the Lord put this book in my path. Ask yourself, he says, the focusing question, what's the one thing I can do? Such that by doing it, everything else will be easier or unnecessary. And I can tell you, as much as I enjoyed this read, I got way more excited when I started looking at the Word of God and I realized that God has something in His Word, one thing, that if I will get my mind around it, if I will believe it with all my heart, then everything, not some things, not part of an issue, everything in my life will without doubt be easier or unnecessary. And so tonight, I want to borrow the title from Mr. Keller and preach for just a few minutes, The One Thing. Now we just read the story of Israel, the people of God, and they're at the mount. They have spent the last three months traveling. and They've been in proximity to God. Prior to where they're at now, they were in bondage to the Egyptians. God came through and moved in a very miraculous way. Miracle after miracle, and at the hands of Moses and Aaron, God delivers them from bondage. They travel and a lot of things happen and three months later they find themselves where they are at this very moment. They've been around God and they've felt the benefits of God's actions in their life, but they don't really know Him at this point. They don't. They know Him in the sense that you or I would know some well-known billionaire who invested money into some sort of a a place like Goodwill or a Salvation Army that's in your community and it helps your community. So you do feel some of those benefits because of the work that they're doing, but they don't really know that billionaire. Brother Brzezinski might. He's a wealthy man. But me and you, well, they're going, we don't know him. We felt the benefits of the work that they've done. We know of them in a sense, but we don't really know why is that so important? First impressions. This is so interesting to me. A first impression snaps into the mind of an individual, and guess it, seven seconds from the first time they've encountered somebody that they've never met. You know what that means? That means a long time ago, 10 minutes ago, 
those of you that didn't know me already made up in your mind like that, what you felt about me. You better watch out because I'm up here with the Word of God. Clear your minds. But it's true. And you don't even have to do it on purpose. It's subconsciously, as a person, you automatically, that quickly, decide how you feel. What's your slant towards an individual? Seven seconds. That's it. What's that mean? That means that how you introduce yourself is critical. Because that is how people are going to perceive you and what they're going to think about you. And so we can learn a lot about God by examining just that. How does he introduce himself to people? Not how does Juan introduce him, not how does Brother Brzezinski introduce him, but how did God choose to introduce himself? And we see it there on the mount. It's a very serious moment in Israel's history. God has put a backdrop. He has set the stage in a way that everybody understands the significance of what is about to take place. It's not sunshine. It's not birds singing. No, no. It is fire and smoke, earthquakes and trumpets. And just when you thought you heard enough of the trumpet, the Bible said it waxed louder and louder. And you know what he said about the people? They understood that what was happening was something that God wanted to really impress upon them. He wanted them to realize the significance. He wanted them to uh, catch the message that he was sending. He wanted them to receive it. It was important for them. He was about to introduce And if we want to see how he did it, we have to back up a little bit. Exodus 19 and verse 3. In verse 3 it says, And Moses went up unto God, and the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel. God is telling Moses, Look, I'm about to get the people together. I'm about to introduce myself formally to them. And I want to make sure that they get the details correct. If I've only got seven seconds to impress upon my people what they're going to think of me, how they're going to view me as they go forward in their lives, then I want to make sure that the details that they need to know come across first. And in verse 4 he says, tell them this. You have seen what I did unto the Egyptians and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Before there was fire, before there was smoke or thunder or lightning or earthquakes, before he went one step further, I need my people to know that I'm the one that came for them when no one else could. I'm the one. When they had nothing to offer me, there was no value. They brought nothing to the table. I'm the one that came for them. Bro. Had nothing to offer. And God said, before I start breaking down the Ten Commandments, that we so quickly want to go to on how God revealed Himself to the people of God, He said, no, before I lay down a single law, 
before I tell you one more thing that you're going to have to do to stay in right relationship with me, I want you to know I'm worth being in a relationship with. I want you to know that when there was nothing that you could do for me, when you brought nothing to the relationship, I was willing to bring everything to you. That's what I need my people to know. Before we go any further, I need them to know that. In 1 John we read, he says it like this, We love him because he first loved us. That takes you right off of your high horse. You're not in a walk with God because you're good. You're not in a walk with God because you follow the rules. You're not in some deep relationship with Him because you went to Bible college. I love Bible college. But that's not why God is walking with you. That's not why God is using you. You would not even love Him if it wasn't for Him first loving you. If it wasn't for Him first reaching out to us there would be nothing for us to respond in. We, our love is in response to His love. And His love makes all the difference. It was His love that drove the plagues in Israel. It was His love that could no longer bear to watch His people in bondage, even though they were there because they chose to separate themselves from Him. But He said, no, more Separation. I'm coming for you. Before I tell you anything, you need to know this. You've heard it if you've been in church. Old timers, young timers, it doesn't matter. I've heard it my entire life since I've been living for God. Last 18, 19 years. You'll hear the story of somebody, some saint somewhere, and once you've heard it once, it all starts to sound the same. I was traveling on a highway, maybe, they would say. And out of nowhere, there was a fog, and, and I hit black ice, and my car was sliding uncontrollably, and I just had a few nanoseconds. But in that little bit of time, I didn't even think. My mind wasn't even processing, but my lips formed the word Jesus. And without me even thinking about it, I said it. And I don't know what was going on, but I know that the car stopped just short of. And you finish the story. Because I've heard a hundred of them where somebody has been in a position where they didn't have any control and things seemed like it was just spinning out or they didn't know how they were going to survive, whether it was a missionary and it was people trying to gun them down. doesn't matter what it was. I don't know what it was. But in that moment, Jesus. Why is that? Why Why in just a moment? Because in their subconscious, in their spirit, God has gotten accomplished what He desires to accomplish in every one of our lives that we know deep down within us that the answer to every single problem is in Jesus. The strength we need is in Jesus. If this car is going to stop, I don't even have to think about it. I need Jesus. If I'm going to have food for my family in the mission field, I need you, Jesus. If these bullets that are flying by are going to miss me and my family. Oh, so simple compared to sometimes how we make it. 
And we're not talking this is something that we should get our minds around once we've been to seminary. This is what God wants us to know first. This is what He wants us to be thinking about as we build on the foundation. Don't ever forget it. Look, you're going to be in one of three places your entire life here on earth. You're going to be on a mountaintop high, or you're going to be in a valley low, or you're going to be traveling to one or the other. That's your entire life here on earth. And let me tell you this. If we let God and His Spirit permeate our minds and get this into our hearts, then when we're on a mountain high, it's going to stop us from getting that ego. It's going to stop us from feeling like we're the big cheese, like we've arrived or like we're better than everyone else. And just as likely when you're down in that valley low, because if you've never been there, my friend, I promise you it's coming. And you feel like everything's falling apart and you want to blame God and you want to blame the preacher and you want to blame everybody in your family. If you can just let your mind Go back to that fact and know God is for me. God loves me. And when I'm loved by the Creator, the Almighty, All-Powerful God, when that love is present in my life, then I can have strength to face no matter what I'm going through. The valley lows or the mountain highs. And I promise you, at 38 years of age, the mountain highs are just as dangerous as the valley lows. More people have been taken out on their mountaintops than they have in their valley lows. We could go through names of preachers that have been preaching camps, that have been all over our organization, and they didn't fall because they were broke and busted. It was when everything got to their head and everyone knew their name and everyone believed they could just do everything. They walked on water. Oh, how the mighty fall. But this lesson, thank you, Jesus. Help me to remember that. It's humbling to be reminded that I had nothing to do with you giving me all of your love. That I had nothing to do God, with bringing you into my life, you desired me as I was. Broken, busted, disgusted, I had nothing. And yet, you desired me. I know how it feels sometimes. Like, preachers and family members don't get it. We don't understand because you may have found yourself in a place where you're walking in shame and guilt. I know. I know what it's like. I've been in that valley. I've been in that valley where I can't even lift my head because I feel so guilty because I messed up. And depending on where you are in your maturity, that could be something horribly wrong. Or it could be something that most of us would view not that bad, but because you know you shouldn't have and you still did it, the guilt and the shame piles up on you. And the enemy uses that as a tactic to bring you down because as long as you're feeling all the guilt and all the shame, for as long as you're feeling sorry for yourself, you'll never get out. It's like your prison that you built with your own mind and with your own hands. There's no bars there, but you're a prisoner just the same. And the only thing that gets you out of that 
is to go back to remembering that God knew how broken I was when He came. He knew how broken I was when He died. He knew how broken I was when He parted the Red Sea. When He gave everything for me, He knew. And why that does not pardon my sin. And why that does not give me good reason to continue in it. It does let me take a stand and say, no, no, I'm no longer going to be a prisoner in that. I'm no longer going to allow myself to be bound by that because God desires for everyone in this place to live an abundant life. Brother Mooney just spoke on that. An abundant life, a powerful life, a free life. That's what God desires. That's what He desires for everyone in this room. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. I don't even care what you're doing right now. I'm telling you that if you want a life that is free, a life of power, a life of, of God's presence leading and guiding you, then you can have that. It's yours. But events, God makes it simple. Because He knows that most folks aren't going to get it if He doesn't. God knows how we think. I'm convinced that's why he chose to interact with man the way he does. Because it's so much easier for a human being to give of themselves when they first got. You can act like you're different than everyone else. It's not true. You don't go to work because you like helping your boss. You go to work because you get paid. And that's about the only consistent thing that we all do all the time, right? Because we get paid. And God knows that in our sinful nature, in our broken nature, man is going to gravitate towards something when he realizes it's for his own good. You can try to get around it. You can't. It's there. It's true. So what you need to do is embrace it and understand that God knew it, and that's why he built it and set it up the way that he did. Look, we'll go back to the Old Testament. I'm telling you, this is systematic from cover to cover. This is what God wants you to know. There is no other foundation, Paul said, that can be laid except the foundation of Jesus Christ. He is the foundation. What does that mean? That means that the life and work of Christ is the foundation for which everything else is built upon. Nothing else can be the foundation. So everything else that comes after that in our walk with God, our holiness and our faithfulness to church and our faithfulness to giving and and anything you want to point out comes after getting this. But if you get that first, you won't last. You won't last. Because you're going to come into a storm or you're going to be elevated and it's going to take you Foundation. Genesis chapter 1. Creation. Day 1. Heaven and earth and day and night. Day 2. The sky and the sea were created. Day 3. The land, the seed-bearing plants, and fruit-bearing trees. Day 4. Sun and moon and stars. Day 5. Sea life and birds. Day 6. Livestock, insects, beasts, and man. 
Now you go down to Genesis 1.26 and see what happens. And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creepy thing that creepeth upon the earth. And you can go throughout Genesis 1 further, and into Genesis 2, and it just continues to build the case that when God created everything from nothing, His first conversation with man was not, don't eat from this tree. His first conversation with man was, I created you, I created all this, and then he hands it off to you. God did not need a place to hang out. He did not need another place where he could meet with somebody in the cool of day. God did not need another being to worship him. I understand. We were created to worship. I get that. Yes, we are. But he didn't need that. Everything God created and everything he put into motion from the very beginning of time before any of it ever existed was for us. The cards aren't stacked against people. They are stacked in our favor. God has done everything he can to help us understand that the relationship with him has been earned. How many people are you loyal to that's never earned your they're not worthy of it, you give it anyways. And yet God is worthy of all of it. Every bit of it, He is worthy of. Created it all. Handed it all off. Before He ever asked one single thing of Adam, He first gave him So now I'm going to take you to John chapter 3 and verse 16, one of the most quoted verses in all of history. For God so loved the world that He gave. Say it with me, that He gave. God's love drove Him to give. God's love drove Him to do something for mankind that mankind could not accomplish on their own. He created us. Check this out. He created us. Then He gave us everything. And then the one thing He takes back and says, don't partake of, we partake of, we fall, we live thousands of years in and out of walking by faith and doing what we're supposed to do to come to a time when God says the fullness of time has come. And now I'm going to send my son. Why? So that he could shed his blood. So that whosoever believeth on him, whosoever will take him is the foundation that God intended it to be, will not perish. Will not. We preach about heaven, we talk about heaven, but if you're going to get there, you've got to get this in your spirit, in your head, you've got to believe it because the enemy is coming for you. He wants to complicate things, he wants to make it so much harder than it really is. Yes, your walk with God will mature from this point. Yes, God is going to start asking of you more and more. Yes, he is. 
But he's going to do it because he's already proven that everything he's doing for you is for your own good. Anything he's ever going to ask you to do is going to be for your benefit. Remember that. When life gets hard and life gets tough and you feel like God's asking too much of you to even be present at every church service because you're busy, because you got things to work on, because your job is hectic, just remember what he did for you. Remember what he gave for you because that's what he wants you to fall back on. Don't drop back and think, oh, well, I got to wear skirts. Don't drop back and think, oh, I don't got to cut my hair. Don't draw back and think, oh, I can't wear makeup. That's not what God is wanting you to remember. What God is wanting you to remember is that all of those things were only asked because he loved you. There's one thing that if we can wrap our minds around will change our entire lives, and it will without doubt make it easier. Everything. God loves me. God loves me. Say what you want when I wear clothes that don't match. God loves me. Say what you want when I date somebody that you don't think is cute. God loves me. Say whatever you want about me and my wife bouncing around in the car singing and I sound terrible. God loves me. Tell me so-and-so preaches better. Okay. God loves me. Tell me so-and-so sings better. Tell me that my ministry is 10 years behind. Because I left Bible college and didn't go into full ministry. God loves me. I'm telling you now, I can deal with all of the criticism, all of the critiques, all of the hating, all of the painful moments. I can deal with every one of those because at the end of the day, the one that matters loves me. And when I need something that's critical to my development or my well-being, God will show up. God will show up. He's done it over and over again. I was in prison because of things I did. It was my fault, Zach. I remember sitting there thinking, well, why is this? Why is God letting this happen? Well, God didn't let it happen. Listen, drugs were illegal in India. Carrying a handgun without a license was illegal, bro. Battery was not okay. Listen, and I was in prison because I deserved to be in prison. And I promise you, God looked out for me every single day. Because I made up in my mind that He loved me. And that His promises for His people were for me. And that if I would allow God to just have control of my life, if I would surrender to Him, if I would just simply accept what He's been trying to hammer into my thick head and my thick heart, I can make it. He'll make the way. Stand with me. Anybody ever heard the phrase childlike faith? Childlike faith. <clears throat> if you don't have kids, it's going to be a little tough to wrap your mind around. We'll look at what was said in Matthew 8. Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them and said, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. 
Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So they wanted to know who was going to be great, and then Jesus pulls the children into this, and he says, you need to have the heart of a child. The heart of a child is a very precious thing. It's unique. There's nothing else like it because they're at a place of innocence, Brother Brzezinski. They trust with all their heart. When something is said to them, it's golden. They might question it to be a smart aleck, but they will believe whatever Dad says when they're innocent children. And what God was saying, what Jesus was saying to them was, you've got to quit making this so hard. Why are you complicating what I have made so simple? If you can just transform into a child and take me at my you to close your eyes. I know this message is very simple, but God has been beating it into my soul. I want you to go back in your mind to that place where you were a child. Where your mom and your dad could say something to you and it was just soft. You didn't wonder about the details surrounding what they were saying. It was simple. They said it. It was true. My dad sometime, I don't even know why, told me that semi-trucks could outrun motorcycles. And I told everyone at school that. And I argued and argued and argued that a semi-truck is faster. My dad said... He doesn't even remember saying it. So if he said it, he didn't mean what I thought he said, but what I heard as a child. And I believe something that everyone else knew was impossible. I was a child. And so I believe with all my heart tonight, the goal is this. Do we take a moment we don't worry about anything else that the noise would fade of our busy lives if we're in a valley or if we're on the mountaintop it's all the same right now and that like a child we wouldn't care what anyone around us was thinking or what they might do But we hear our Father speak this very, very simple truth. I love you. My love isn't silent. It comes for you. I'm not asking anything of you that won't bring your own betterment. 
you can accept this truth today in your current circumstances. And no matter what you face tomorrow, it will be just as true. There's not a lot of room up here. It's hot. But I'm going to ask you if you can make it. To just come up front. And as a child for a few moments, let God put this deep within you. Look at life through the eyes of a child.